0: The following episode of Fofop is rated M-A. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild course language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deek speaking. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fofop. My name is Charlie Clawson, and my guest this week is comedian, broadcaster, math geek, and author of the new children's book Maths 101. Oh, and I should also say, unofficial fact checker for the TOFOP podcast, Adam Spencer. Welcome to Fofop.
1: How are you, mate? I was thinking about that because I've been lucky enough to, uh, I've been on philosophy. A couple mm. of times i have uh, i've done with you a two guys one cup yep. and uh yeah I've, I've i haven't done a toe but i have a uh, unofficially you know vetted some of the <laughs> information that's been presented via that or i love it i just listen to them and i love i love uh yeah you know, just occasionally hearing you say something and going great i can plug this week's pod by going in this one charlie suggests that you know Pythagoras' theorem is to do with the the size of triangles or whatever and but you'll get the occasional one where you guys will start doing something and I'll be going, Oh, for the no. Oh come on. Oh no. Ah, ah. And then about twenty seconds later you go, Oh, if Adam Spencer's listening, he'd be so fucking angry right now. <laughs> we know we,
0: we know our audience, Spence. We definitely we we know at least one uh, section of our audience. Uh I do uh, think about you, I do feel bad because I know that for someone whose brain works like yours does, in which facts and data are of like a, a like a high importance. When you listen to something like our show, is it a genuinely frustrating experience, or is this just a, a microcosm of what you experience on a daily daily basis, especially with the kind of discourse that happens on social media at the moment?
1: What I love is that because you and Will are both intelligent, interested, engaged guys. You're not you're not two luddites who've just stumbled in off the street with nothing to talk about. But I love that reflection of, you know, my world, my really nerdy little world over there um, is a world that some very intelligent people take no immediate interest in <laughs> or or don't feel is their strong suit at all.
0: Well, it's funny. My memory of, of being a student at school, like obviously maths and science were not my strongest subjects. I was much more into the humanities. And I remember I had a humiliating experience, I think, in year seven where I scored seven out of 40 in, in a maths test. And I had a particularly hardline old school teacher whose, I guess, way of, uh, uh, of showing me tough love was to humiliate me in front of the entire class by waiting to hand out my paper last and then holding it up to the class <laughs> and just like it, oh. accusing me of like not trying. And the thing was, I, it wasn't that I didn't try. I just always had to put in extra work. And from that point, for the next couple of years, I, I put in extra hours and I actually managed to sort of like get into advanced maths in my high school. Yeah. But then when it got to a certain level where now they're like, it, it's getting really theoretical and, you know, I, I just was like, I I don't. My brain doesn't work like this because I always feel with science and maths I felt contained by the fact that there is a correct answer and there is a formula. I was a humanities guy. I need some room to move. <clears throat> Can I just throw out a few things and you tell me if I'm vaguely in the in the vicinity? But it was just that I think that's what contributed to my anxiety about learning about maths. I think. In general, in day to day, what I learned in high school has been very useful in terms of like, you know, paying bills and adding things up and budgeting and all that kind of stuff. But I do get like a chill down my spine when you start throwing out <laughs> facts and information <laughs> at me. And because it's, it is, it is that thing of like, am I dumb? Like, is it, is it something that I should have worked harder at? Are some people more naturally inclined to absorb this information? Because sometimes I do feel like I'm the only person who doesn't get this? Everyone seems to understand. Like even Gemma, my wife, when we're talking to our accountant or our financial advisor, seems to understand the terminology and the way numbers mm. work a lot faster than I do.
1: Look, it's it's a mixture of both. There there are some people having a, a bit of innate ability, and some people enjoy. But like my mates in primary school thought I was a maths genius, but mm. I guarantee you, I did more than they did because I loved it. Right. And if if there if there were if there were thirty questions in the book, and the teacher set ten for homework why wouldn't you do the other 20 they're awesome questions they're all different they're just as much fun as the first 10 so without doubt that repetition and then that's really important i mentioned this in the book in primary school the whole you know people say rote learning should you really just memorize things mm. the real basics like multiplying seven eights of 56 you absolutely the kids need to write learn you don't wake up each morning Look at you! Trust me, Charlie's fifty-six. Yeah. You don't. You don't wake up each morning. <laughs> you don't wake up each morning. Stare at your shoes and think there's got to be a there's got to be a way to attach them to my feet. Just give me enough time and I'll work it. You've committed that to memory. You, yeah. You, your local baker doesn't wake up with some dough and some raisins and go. I have to be able to make an artisanal sourdough loaf out of them. No. Certain things are committed to memory because they're good. Um. Now, at the at the upper there's no way that everyone should be doing the top level of maths that, you know, extension two or whatever. Mm. But most people can, with a bit of work and good quality teaching, get their heads around the basics at a fairly solid level. But at at school, I was terrible with languages. I got a scholarship to a private school where they made us do French and Latin Mm. in year seven. And first of all, I didn't like anyone telling me I had to study anything. It didn't make any sense to me. I remember in Latin, failed it in first term. It was a three-term year, failed it in first term, second term, Got 50, lost two marks for untidy working, so (laughs) failed it again. Third term, got 73, and I'm just running around the room with my hands in the air till I worked out that was the lowest mark in the class, and the average was in the low 90s because they'd given us just an absolute, if there is such a thing, dolly of a Latin test. So my 73 was virtually a fail. But if I look back at it, I had no interest and I certainly didn't go home each night and look at the list of words and commit the dialogue to memory and if you don't do if you don't do your vocab you're yeah. screwed in a language i had no interest didn't do the work would never have been good at it as such but failed it because it just didn't It just didn't engage with me at
0: all. Well, I am also an ex-Latin student, and when I think about it, like of all the kind of indulgences that an education can <laughs> afford you, learning Latin, I mean, it was funny. <laughs> the way it was sort of sold to me, because they only offered it from year nine at my high school, was uh, it's almost – it's like a history lesson for the English language. And I'm like, well, I'm good at English and I like English. Like maybe this will be something that I get my head around. But – I mean, this is, again, where teachers are so important because the teacher we had, it was a Jesuit school, was so hardline. Like, this was an old guy who, you know, still went to the 11 o'clock mass that was all in Latin. Like, he was that committed to keeping this dead language afloat. Yep, yep. And I remember it was just that constant repetition of OST, Mustis and, and, you know, trying to sort of like – Porto,
1: portas, patat, patamus, patatus, portant. That was the first thing we learned in Latin, and it's pretty much the only – because you're busting your ass for two years so that you can eventually, if ever needed, say, Caesar, tell your warriors to draw their spears and advance to the river.
0: (laughs) Well, there was one class where – because he was a very dry uh, teacher as well, a very dry sense of humour – where he was, uh, he was writing these, um, uh, these Latin words up on the board and we were trying to figure out what they meant, breaking them down. And then what he had actually taught us was like a, a dirty limerick in Whoa. Latin. And all I remember from it was the final line was Luscus and duparato, which is one-eyed general.
1: <laughs> well, hello. There once was a soldier from Crete. Yeah, exactly. His cock was as long as two feet, that sort of thing. Nice, so, nice t- work, so brother Matthew, tell me
0: about uh, your book because I am interested. If if you if you've got a child who is maybe intimidated by maths or, or is struggling, like w- what is the entry level? What is the first thing that you say to parents?
1: Yeah, th- th- as with so many things, the earlier you get onto it, the better. And if the parents actually, because as as a parent. When you're thinking back to what you did in primary school maths, you can probably remember a lot of it, but you remember what to do, not necessarily why. Yeah. And the difference between saying to your kid, "Look, trust me, you just do this. Put the four there, put the seven there. That's the answer." And act- if you get it, you're fine. I had a, I had a moment just the other night. My daughter's boyfriend, he and and so she's at a selective school, so there's a lot of smart kids there, including her boyfriend, who's really really bright he's doing he's one year ahead so he's doing hsc level maths now in year 11 right. and he had a question on a and an, an, that they were looking at and and she buzzed me and said oh can you help him with the question so i had a, he sent me a copy and i had a look at it and it's stuff i haven't looked at for a long time right are we talking and, like goodwill hunting style well, in, since since I'd done it, they've added they've added in. I've got a fascinating story later for you about the puzzle that he solves on the blackboard in Goodwill Hunting. Okay. But um,
0: is it a dirty limerick in Latin? <laughs> <Is> <laughs> <all right? laughs>
1: but but he um this thing involved hop online and graph this on a graphics calculator, which, and we never did any of that back in my day, so I was quite out of my element. And I had to look at it, and it and you know I was feeling She's going, "Can you help me? Can you help me?" Going, and and I stopped, and I thought about it for a few minutes, and then just stepped back and had a look and actually thought about what the question was asking and realized he'd chosen a really bad example to try and apply this question to right called him back mate i think you i think you want more of an example like this and suddenly the thing just fell out in front of our eyes now i didn't remember how to do that stuff i didn't have him in my mind you know, but i understood that what was going on underneath it sufficiently deeply that it is a natural language to me and with your kids in primary school as much as You've got to do it in a way that it makes sense. to If they learn it, they will remember it. If they memorise it, mm. it goes straight out, straight after the test, and you've got to re- re-memorise it again and again. Now, it's different to the rote learning stuff. That's, that bedrock's important, but if you just memorise formulas and have no idea what they're about, there's no way you hold on to that in any sort of functional way. So this book encourages parents right from the beginning, you want to explain why a half is the same as three-sixths, grab a chocolate bar. Grab a chocolate bar that's six bits long and eat some chocolate together mm. and bust it out and build it up slowly, progressively that way.
0: Yeah. I'm always fascinated when you talk about like remembering long numbers and the simple like trick of breaking it down into like three, three number groups. And it yes. is so effective. Like I am, I used to be one of those people who would like, you know, see a six digit password and be like, I can't remember that. I can't remember that. <laughs> and then Adam Spencer appears on my shoulder now. <laughs> He's like,
1: Charlie. 31, 26, 28. Yeah, exactly. 26, Break into three 20. numbers. yeah absolutely. absolutely. The the problem is for me it goes further and I I see patterns in numbers. I, the years ago, this this woman was, I was hanging in a bar and having a chat and, and she fought, she agreed to give me her mobile number. Mm. She gave me a mobile number and it was 04171, a few digits, and it finished with a five one. I uh, sorry, it finished with a five seven. And I just looked at it and went, This is so awesome. You see, Mike, you've got the, the 171 and and the 57. And three lots of 57 is 171. What an awesome phone number you have. And she just had this look on her face of, who the fuck have I given my phone? Oh, no. How do Give I draw back? To this guy. Yeah. So you, you've got to be careful about getting too excited by the patterns and numbers, man. No?
0: Well, you know what I do now is I actually equate it to uh, football plays. So like yep. remembering yep. remembering the passcode to get into my daughter's daycare. I'm like, okay, well, we'll start in the midfield. So, you know, <laughs> I'll just remember yeah. the numbers that go out with those players. It's like, okay, that's easy. There's, I can there's a mate that. of mine who
1: has a fancy one of those keypad locks on his door and he lets me occasionally stay at his place in Sydney. And he's normally there. If he's not, well, his passcode is just Luke Parker, Luke Parker, <laughs> 2626. That they, they do that. The, the, the people who go to like world memory championships and things like that, right, and they get them to remember it might be a 100-digit number, and they mm-hmm. can only look at it for five minutes, and they've got to try and recite it back. They don't just remember the numbers. You can, there's only, they, they all look the same. They break them down into two-digit numbers. Mm. They've remembered a 100 different things that code with those numbers, and they create a story. Yeah, yeah. So if it's 0635, which might be Apple car, okay, Yeah. the guy eating the apple was in his car. He read a book. And if you teach yourself, and you'd understand this from narrative, you can, you can remember... Yeah. The, the the fundaments of a story and for some reason the car was purple number 36 and then they build the numbers out like that
0: yeah darren brown the uh magician illusionist he does a very similar thing in one of his like i don't know if, what the trick is called but it's essentially like a cold reading or he gets mm. members of the audience to kind of give him bits of information and then he by the end of the show he will just recount this everything that he's been has been shared with him But then. The great bit is he's then he's not a magician who protects his secret. He then explains, "Well, this is exactly how I mm. broke it down. You gave me this information, which me thinks think of this, which narratively leads to this." And you're right; it's much easier to remember when it's a story. Do you remember in the '90s there was a guy, uh, Kevin Trudeau, who uh,
1: yes, the mega rid- memory expert, the mega memory, mega expert. memory with <laughs> Kevin
0: Trudeau, <laughs> turned out to be a huge con man.
1: Well, let's say. Who, who turned out to have some issues that he had to discuss with the regulators, as far as I understand, yes. Yeah. Because that was, that was the age of the late night infomercials. Mm. There was him. One of his ones was he was appearing on, they, they uh, created,
0: Danny, Danny Bonaducci's talk show. He was appearing on a talk show. Band, the house band, the critics.
1: The critics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, My look. first guest. I'm so excited to have him here. Bring him out here, Kevin Trudeau. Mate. And I'm, so you. you m- You'd, you'd come home as you do sometimes at, at that time of night, yeah. having done what you've done to be coming over that time of night, and you'd turn around and go, oh, it's another episode of the Danny Bonaducci show. I loved it. The same
0: episode <laughs> that was literally the soundtrack to my university, my high school and university years. Was you're exactly right, it says it was late night advertising. I'm sure I feel I'm getting like deja vu that we maybe talked about this on TOEFOP, but it was funny because Michael Chamberlain, comedian Michael Chamberlain, we mm. would we were obsessed with that infomercial, the Danny Bonaducci show, and Michael <laughs> ordered. The uh, Mega Memory, the Kevin Chido Mega Memory oh. tapes, which came in a box. I think it was like a hundred and something bucks in like the mid-90s. <laughs> so it wasn't cheap. And it was a series of six tapes. And I remember Michael training himself up and it was all, it wasn't necessarily the narrative thing, but it was the visualization. So it's like, you know, hmm. you uh, meet someone who tells you they're from Wichita. And so you imagine like them wearing a witch's hat and that will like lead hmm. you to, to, you know, where they're from.
1: Hmm. <laughs> I, I remember there was one, there was, some series of products, and they used to be on each night, say, from 12.30 to 1am, and I just flicked on the TV one night and I saw this ad I'd seen many times before, but for the first time, all the faces were pixelated out and the phone number at the end was covered up and, and all this. And so they'd clearly, in some way, fallen foul of the regulators and they weren't allowed to post the product anymore, but the TV network had nothing else to show between 12.30 and 1am, and these people had paid for the slot. So they kept running the ad, but it was a version of the ad that was clearly screaming out, do not under fear of death buy this product. (laughs) We're clearly not allowed to sell it to you. We're in lots of trouble, but here's a redacted version of the TV commercial until we've run out our slot until the end of the week. When you say redacted, so
0: the, the faces of,
1: what kind of ad was it, first of all? Was it like an infomercial? I think from what I can remember, it was a nutrition or supplements or sort of thing. But each time they went to say the name of the product, it got beat down. (laughs) That's amazing. And then the phone number you were meant to dial was cut. So clearly they'd been told, you are not allowed to sell Nutra smash in Australia anymore. So they kept running the ad. And just every time I said, that's why I've been using for six months now, and I've lost five pounds. I wonder what. The, so there must have been some discussion between the network
0: and the and the and the sponsor, saying, "Look, you know, we can't screen this. You've got two options: we can pull it, you can, you know, sort out your issues with a regulator, and we can put it back on, or we can bleep it." And the advertiser's like, "Well, I've spent the money, so I guess some ad yeah. is better than no ad."
1: Yeah. and Whereas the guy from the network's going. Because I've got heaps of editions of the Danny Bonaducci show in the back. Here. We can <laughs> run. We can double up on Danny. Don't you worry? Well, it does actually. I mean, there is a bit of reverse psychology
0: to that. I think I'd be so intrigued by that product. I'm like, what are they not like talking about? <laughs> this must be, this must be huge. So big farmer so doesn't hot. want you to know about whatever this product
1: is. This neutral you, you Smash. Could, could, so, being in the industry, have yeah. you done? Because you've done a lot of voiceover work. Yeah. Commercial. Have you done? Have you done many? To, have you done? Have you been mm. pitched to camera commercials with things where you'd be going, "I could do with the money, but I'd be really tossing a coin as to whether I'd actually get behind this product."
0: Oh, every time I do an ad is like, <laughs> <it's> very <laughs> questionable whether or not I'd use the product. I don't. There are some actors I know who are very like you you would know their faces because they they get cast in and everything and you know it can be quite lucrative doing commercials mm. like you know you can get a couple of big campaigns and you know that's a year's income for most people but i don't I'm have i'm pretty one sure
1: of- the 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 the, the, the ii net guy just phones it in from an island in the maldives these <laughs> yeah, days he has got, got about
0: 70 of them Yeah, and the bloody dodo dodo i'm sure that yeah. guy is <laughs> laughing in a hammock somewhere uh but i don't think i have a face spent that um because generally what advertisers want in Australia, and I say this as someone who's married to a, a director of commercials, so I see her look at tapes, is every brand and every agency wants an everyday Australian. And I, for hmm. whatever reason, do not present as an everyday huh? Australian. And so there have been some commercials that I have been – spoke, you know, that they've, 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 they've uh, inquired or – but always it ends up going to
1: a much more – I don't know, likable. <laughs> you've, you've, you've got you've got the pen in your hand. Yeah, you're about to sign, and the phone rings, and they go, "What's that?" Shane Jacobson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. We've There's got someone been a who, in plans. We've
0: got someone whose face we don't want to punch. But I did do a <laughs> a, a couple of years ago. I did a, um, a a guy who actually listened to the show, listened to TOEFOP, reached out to me directly, and said, "Hey, man, like um, I run this small agency, and we're looking for a spokesperson for the Royal Melbourne Show." You know, the job's yours if you want it. And I was like, well, i got nothing else going on. And, you know, I used to go to the Royal Melbourne show. And uh, when I arrived, I was like, cool. So, you know, well, what am I doing? Like, well, you're just, you're just pitching a Royal Melbourne show. You're just a, a pitch man. So we shot this ad. And I can't remember if the agency were there or not, but there was someone who was representing their interests. And all I remember is they just wanted more like like bigger like bigger and i'm like i don't know i can go any bigger i mean i'm excited about the royal melbourne show no, but i don't but know I'm tapping out here yeah. I'm i don't know how much more excited i can get without someone thinking is, is this guy gonna need to be committed i think he's having a hysterical i'm, I'm episode. in the penthouse what yeah. do you want yeah I just I, it was so funny. I, I just remember going, Well, that's one thing I'll never want to see back. But problem is is when you do a show like Tof, everyone who sees that ad would send it to me. So there was a period of time in which I had to mute Royal Melbourne show from my feed.
1: I, I stumbled into the the media stuff and when you do that, you then get the occasional approach of, Would you like to come and audition for an ad or whatever? And I had no idea. I wasn't a traditional ad guy. Mm. I went to like maybe two. And the first one I went to, and I didn't even understand, you know, had no idea, it, I, I assumed they'd asked me to come and do the ad. Right. It didn't even occur to me, well, no, you're going along to audition. You're not the only person they'll have asked to try it. This is actually your tryout. To. Mm. So I hadn't really read the full script they'd sent. It was <laughs> Jeans West. You know, Jeans West fits best or something was this slogan. And, and when I got there and then realised, oh, actually there's five or six other people here, oh, I think I'm up against them to even do this ad. Mm. We're not just here agreeing on the terms upon which I'll do it. Mm. And then I looked at them and and the, and I had a quick look at the ad script and the idea was that the person who was talking, then they cut back and revealed they're wearing a pair of jeans with one one leg goes all the way down to the ankle and the other barely goes past their knee. So the jeans just aren't the right fit, which makes no sense. But <laughs> then cut away to the tag, jeans West fits best. And I realized this first when I looked around and everyone else in the room was wearing jeans. I'd come in knee-length shorts. <laughs> and one of the guys actually in his pair of jeans had cut off oh, he wants the thing just Below the knee, yeah. yeah and I suddenly thought it's <laughs> not only you, West yeah, 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 yeah. You're up. De Niro's just <laughs> walked in here, having walked around in these jeans for three weeks, yeah, l- I mean, living the what angst. What does it of mean having, to
0: have jeans that don't fit right? I've got to get inside the character. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, and 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 we'd, we'd had the fifteen minutes slotted each to go through. And they they gave me the full two and a half minutes of my fifteen minute allocation, and pretty much said, "Dude, if you're not if you're not going to wear jeans to the ad, to the audition, we you're really not committed to this as a concept. Don't hit your ass on the door on the way out." I mean, it is a weird experience
0: auditioning. Like it, it's 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 also. You know, if you want any kind of proof that you are not a unique and beautiful snowflake, walk into an audition room where yeah. the casting agent has a put out a call for your type. And you yeah. may think that you're a pretty <laughs> unique individual, but then when you walk in a room and you see just like five versions of yourself as if there's like a multiverse happening in mm. this contained mm. space, you're like, oh, uh, uh, okay, unless, that's my unless, type, I guess.
1: Uh, unless they're casting ugly guy, <laughs> so there's a whole different, br- very broad universe of ugly guys, but you, you at least know – can. I'm roughly as ugly as all of these <laughs> other guys.
0: <laughs> I do remember going in like very early on in my, like when I was like 19, 20, my, one of my first auditions. Turning up, it was a oh, – I can't remember. It was one of those – it was in that phase of the 90s where the, the Drink Drive, Bloody Idiot campaign was huge. So realism mm-hmm. was king. And so every ad for a government agency was always like gritty and hard-hitting and about like, you know, don't cross power lines, you'll get electrocuted. And so it was something like that where I was – Meant to be playing like a tradie or a foreman who had, you know, uh, who was being negligent. And I remember I turned up and every other guy in the room was like in his 50s or 60s in overalls. And I'm like this 19 year old whippersnapper, barely out of high school, you know, in my jeans and probably pressed polo shirt with these like genuine, like middle aged tradies. And I remember sitting there going, oh, they've obviously like, there's just been crossed wires. Like my agent has like stuffed up or, or whatever. And so I kept. Every time the casting assistant came out to the waiting room, I kept saying, "Hey, sorry, look, I think there's been a mistake. You know, um, I, I was I thought I was coming for this role, but if these guys were going for something, and she kept assuring me that no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, just wait, just wait." So I'm sitting there one by one, and finally, I go into the room, I do my audition, and the casting agent's like, "Yeah, no, you're way too young for this," and I'm like, oh fucking no, I've been <laughs> saying that." For the last half hour, why did you wait for me to do the audition? Like, you could have told this. I could tell from the moment I walked in the room. You had to get me to go out and say my lines, like my three or four lines, and then I, could, I just couldn't understand how we'd got that far in the process, unless it was a huge prank.
1: I mean, that's something that I couldn't rule out. Um, a mate of mine years ago was in an ad. I remember I he, he used to do the, the Theatre Sports Impro Theatre with him, and we were playing one weekend, and he, he told me he'd been in this ad. He said, yeah, we filmed something during the week. Gee, it was fun. And it was for something, uh, some, you know, over-the-counter medication. And basically, he was in a lift and someone else was in a lift or something, and someone passes wind, and it's all yeah. awkward. But And it was for the Japanese market or right. something, so it was very sort of understated. And and then they catch the lift again, and the person's had the antacid or whatever, and everyone's happy. Um, and he, he said it was, it was pretty funny. And then about a year and a half later, he went into the bank and to check on his, you know, couple hundred bucks in the bank and like $17,000 had gone into his account. And, he, and he's gone, there must be a mistake here. And the, they checked it. and So this ad he'd been on had then, remember when the big thing around the world was all those world's funniest TV commercials, yeah. part seven and, yeah. his listener, and this, this ad of theirs that he'd said, yeah, it was pretty funny. Had won some American season of World's Funniest wow. Ads or whatever, come second in the international voting block. So it, they ran it again in the states, and so he'd had, as you know, his, his initial fee was based on how many eyeballs would yeah. see the ad, and he got he got a few hundred bucks for regional Japanese TV. Mm. Then it suddenly went mainline in the United States for six months. Bang, and he just he got paid, you know, ten times, twenty times what he'd originally got done because it rolled over in the States, ka Yeah.
0: Well, I think in, in America, it's a different kettle of fish, like a lot of differences between the Australian and American market. Like that country is so huge that a lot of actors will have commercial agents, like specifically agents who will get them commercial work because, yeah, you book one of those jobs, you know, in a country of 300 million people, once you've had, you know, they've calculated the eyeballs and the territories and the actual mm. run, you know, if it does 12 months or six months, it can be really, really lucrative. I know a lot of, like, um, uh, who's the actor who played Jesse Pinkman on Breaking Bad? Well, I forget his name. Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul. Uh, he's, he says his first ten years of his career, he just did commercials. I think he also mm. won the Price Is Right or, or Wheel of Fortune or something. There is some footage that exists of uh, Jesse Pinkman online like, on one of those cheesy game shows coming on down or, or something like oh, that. Oh,
1: fantastic! Yeah, I'm thinking this is my, with his agent going, "This is his shot. Yes. This is his shot." <laughs> That's I, right. I, 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 I years when Will and I were wrapping up on Triple J. And we had our year to go and we, we set ourselves a little bucket list of things to do. That's right. And and one of them I decided i you know, and look, to be honest, it, this had not always been high on my bucket list, but we both filled out our top 10 and got to about seven pretty quickly and then thought, oh, what can we do? So I said I'd always wanted to appear on an Australian game show. And so, you know, let's go on a game show. But all the game shows at the time were ones where they just pick people randomly. Like You can't choose to appear on the prices, right? Yeah. You can choose to go and watch it, and then you're like 3% chance to get. But the only one you could, they still had the old um, Wheel of Fortune. So I said, I'm going to try and get myself on Wheel of Fortune. And this was in, there's was a guy called Steve Oemke was hosting it. Lovely guy. But this was towards the very end of Wheel of Fortune's Twenty-year run in Australia or whatever. Yeah, I don't. They were.
0: I don't recall the name Steve Wemke. Wim- What's he doing now?
1: I, I I do know I do know that he's a mate of either Hamish or Andy because okay. one of them mentioned him as a friend on their podcast <laughs> once, and it was a real walk down the mirror. The lovely Sophie Sophie Faulkner was hosting it as well. Oh yeah. Um. And and and, so to go on Wheel of Fortune, you go along and you have to you 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 sit them with fifty other people in a room and they give you some sample things to solve and you all mark each other's things and I, I'm, I'm pretty my mathematical side goes across to words as well i'm pretty good at just spotting patterns and all that words got to be this and that mm-hmm. and they gave us 10 to do and they said okay so put your hand and you gave it to the person next to you who marked it and then they'd go through and say each answer and this guy who'd this was his fourth attempt to get on Wheel of fortune had handed me his sheet and and the poor guy he, he struggled a bit, right? And 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 each time they'd read out the answer, and the, you know they'd say, okay, so number one was to kill a mockingbird, and you'd hear him go, ah, oh. <laughs> and he, he tick mine, and yeah. <laughs> it's not to kill you a know, shocking
0: th- turd, God damn it! <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, well, one no one one of them was Bart. One of the answers was Bart Simpson, and he missed that, right? And 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 after 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 all, he, he's just going, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh. and then and, and they. I know of getting all of them right, yeah. and and this guy felt like he was sitting next to you know <laughs> the, Stephen Hawking. Yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> and, but so, but, had someone greased the wheels a little bit to get you in for the audition?
1: Like, how- no. Th- at this stage, you they were desperately keen for people to go on the show. Oh, okay, right. They need to get people of a certain standard on the show, so they're not all just going. I'm sorry, I, I don't just know don't know. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and. There's only a set. There's only a pool of so many people who want to do this, and I think those shows often run out because they just run out of people to put on them. Yeah. Um. And so, hence the guy next to me who was having his fourth crack at it. Um. But I got there and just I just had the time of my life for three. And won a couple of nights and had got spinning the wheel. Just had the wheel on an absolute. You know. Absolute- so how many
0: episodes are you shooting in one hit? Uh, They they do
1: five in a day. Five in a day. And so
0: how does it work with Wheel of Fortune? Are they carryover champions? So if you win... Yeah, you've got a
1: carryover champion. So we all got there on the day. There was a a, a carryover champion, and that that will affect slightly how many people come through in the day. But I was pretty sure I'd come on on the third episode. Got it on the third episode. Crushed it. Got through (laughs) to the thing afterwards. Um, Correctly identified landscape architect as the mystery phrase. And one um a set of knives, Fury knives, carved from a single piece of steel that I still have today, Charlie. It was worth it. It was worth it. No, no, because because when they they let you have a couple of spins of the wheel before you start. Yeah. And being a nerd, I just said I so I put my arm out as far as I could and gave what I felt was just a firm spin of the wheel. And that made it go exactly one and a quarter turns. And so if I – you just look so around just, at each so you, so
0: you basically did a test and said, if I give this a full – like a full swing, how far will it turn? And then you tried to calculate all, that. Because
1: you, you, you can't control the money you hit. You just don't want to hit bankrupt or yep, lose yep. a turn. So if I looked around and one and a quarter turns away was all pretty good with money, just give it a spin. Ooh, yep. that's a bit dangerous. Better spin this one a bit harder or a bit softer. First two appearances on the show, I have the wheel – on a leash i'm just (laughs) dropping it everywhere the thing where i won the knives i missed the car by like one slot sort of thing totally in control get onto episode three it's like the wheel has gone out and had a couple of drinks and got (laughs) shit faced with its mates i'm just spinning it it is slowing down and i speeding up and then just dropping me on they they had a Mm. look at the guy the wonky eye guy, and they said, he's had his two shows. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, this sounds highly suspicious. I feel like De Niro and Joe Pesci are out the back saying, we're going to to send out a cooler. The students (laughs) having too much luck.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was a numbers game. It was a numbers game.
0: Yeah, mate, they, they pull you aside and they're like, buddy, you've done well, but we'd hate for this to be Wheel of Misfortune. (laughs) <laughs> you go into your car have a little bit of a misfortunate act- accident
1: um, yeah 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 it's yeah, like slum dog millionaire style
0: it's funny what i love about that story is generally when a celebrity goes on a game show they're normally raising money for charity or a good cause <laughs> you're just like taking the knives home
1: fuck them. i was there for the knives and the telescope the other thing i did just because i enjoyed taking the piss a bit because you know people always go can i have a c for cat yeah and a whatever so i would just be you're making silly because he'd, he'd identify me as. A, he said you're a big maths guy, so i go going. Yeah, Steve, can I have a um, I have a T for trigonometry? <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Thank you very much. Um, can I have a uh, I have an L for logarithm? Thank you, thank you, Steve, and just being a bit of a dick at the time of my life.
0: With when it comes to uh, a question I've always had watching mafia films and you know films about casinos and stuff, the idea of, of counting cards.
1: Mm. Can you explain to me? what how that works well if we're playing let's we'll keep it very simple and it can get more complicated but if we're playing blackjack Mm. right the old 21 you don't just play with a single deck they normally put about eight decks in the shoe right shuffle them all up deal them out so there's four aces in a pack of cards so there's 32 aces in that shoe of eight decks and The aces are really what wins it for you in blackjack because if you get a 21 with an ace, you don't just get what you win, you get double or one and a half times. So that's when the odds. All casino games are tilted slightly in favour of the casino Mm -hmm. and the way you win over the long term, you can't just win on luck. The way you win is understanding enough about a game that when the odds swing back slightly in your favour, substantially increase what you're betting Okay, and you're investing in yourself at a very slight sort of, percentage so just say we're playing blackjack Mm. and we're halfway through the shoe and no aces have come out at all yet yeah then you've got to expect more aces than you'd usually get in the second half and just say you're counting the kings queens and jacks if you just haven't seen as many statistically then it suddenly goes from a 48 percent chance for it because blackjack's only tilted in favor of the house by like 52 to 48 or something it's not massive yeah but over millions of dollars and millions of hands, that will go to them. Yeah. If you swing that 52-48 to even 60-40 in your favour, that's when you really plunk in. So I have a friend who used to be part of some people who would really go hard at this stuff. And what they do, they'd go to the States mm. and just say after a, a like a big Mike Tyson fight at the MGM Grand or whatever, yeah, knock knockout fight over, suddenly 20,000 pissed idiots just want to go down to the casino and gamble. Now, normally at a casino, they've got people watching. And If you and I went into a casino this afternoon and and to launder some money in the good old Aussie fashion, <laughs> um, and, and, and if we went in and started counting cards, there's nothing illegal with us doing that. We're okay. allowed to do that. Right. But the casino is allowed to refuse entry to anyone at any time. Yeah. So from what I understand, the normal protocol is if you and I start counting cards, someone comes up to us and goes, guys, we know what you're doing. Get out. We say, what are you talking about? We would never do that. We are so offended you've even suggested that we're going to take our money and leave, and everything's cool and no one gets hurt and off yeah. you go. But if 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 the if the casino's got twenty thousand pissed idiots after a fight, all just descending on the tables and knocking over drinks, and all, they suddenly just don't have the sets of eyes to. So what I heard my mate and his crew used to do was, yeah, you know, six of us would go and hit the floor, and five of you are just gambling. And you're just playing, and you're not bad. So you might win a little bit, lose a little bit, but you're playing $10 bets, and it will be as little a signal as you might when your deck starts running really hot. Mm-hmm. Rather than picking up your chips with your left hand, you'll start picking them up with your right hand. Right, And that's enough to make me across the room realise, get over here right now. There's right. some coin to be made here. I would come over and just stand behind you and go, gee, nice shirt, mate. My dad had a shirt like that. If you don't mind, I'm going to ride your bet. You're betting ten bucks, I just come in and bet two hundred bucks a hand. Right. Just on three or four of your hands. Then I get out. So all night you play five hundred bets at ten bucks each at a fifty-eight 52 fifty-two, forty-eight odds. I play twenty hands at two hundred bucks each mm. at sixty, forty, or seventy, thirty odds, and we all cash out on the money I win. So you wait till the odds just go slightly in your favor. Then you flush massive amounts of money through the system. That's that's the theory behind your yeah. investing so, gambling.
0: So it's so interesting. So it's not it's not foolproof. You're just playing the odds. It's like there is a greater chance of like there being more aces in the second half of uh, of the round, or, or or whatever whatever it is. So we can bet yeah, bigger. Yeah. So you can be conservative if you see like a bunch of aces have come out in the first half, or even more. Then you can sort of like be conservative in the second round because you know that yep. that's less likely. So it seems odd though that. I mean, to me, that seems like sportsmanship, right? Because you're not—it's not like you're cheating. You're just being observant. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that that somehow is considered against the spirit of the game.
1: Yeah, I don't know how much. I, I think there's been a couple of public inquiries of late in this country that would make you <laughs> yeah. question how much the spirit of the game is really <laughs> what motivates. Because <laughs> ga- yeah. like, this stuff This stuff came out in Sydney today of people using pokies in in your local clubs. To launder money, right. and there's there was there's an allegation that, that that an individual had put tens of millions of dollars through a local. There's there's footage of someone who allegedly is sitting there, just funnels twenty thousand dollars plus into these two machines next mm. to each of, each other, plays a single one bet one dollar bet on each of them, then calls the attendant over and goes, "I've won. Can I have my twenty seven thousand dollars, please?" <laughs> They're just just taking those original bills, which they clearly can't be seen to use for whatever, you know, and and, and just just flushing millions of dollars through just like your local sports club and your local pub. Yeah. No, I listened to
0: uh, the 7am they did uh, about the inquiry into Crown Casino and just – it's almost like – you don't have a you don't have a, a a political party that's willing to take a stand when there is so much because it's the influence isn't just like the gamblers but it's also entertainment it's tourism there's all these things connected to it and it's like <laughs> it's funny like how Everyone has a uh, like a conscience, and and you know they're very mor- morally sound <laughs> until there's a lot of money on the table, until yeah, it's and, like and, a question and, of and, jobs.
1: And I guess you, you do have to take into account if this, if if a, if a particular organisation is the second biggest private sector employer in the country or something, mm. then there are implications for just suddenly shutting it down. But in some of those inquiries, you saw these. Y- you would have thought if 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 what was if there was bad stuff going on, at least when pressed on it, the organisation would be able to put together a pretty coherent defence. And a lot of the time, it just seemed to be dudes going, "Yeah, I guess." Yeah, I guess we do. Well, yeah,
0: it's the idea, it's the idea of like a self regulated industry. It's like that seems like a bad idea. <laughs> like that seems like a bad idea. I think if you do not have like an independent body that sort of oversees and, and and does the checks and balances then it's just uh, i mean i on one hand I, i'm not a gambler i don't really uh, from my my perspective it's just i have low self esteem i never think i'm going to win and i'm not like you where <laughs> i understand how odds work so I, I wouldn't be i wouldn't be savvy enough to know when the odds were in my favor when i should bet up big but it's just never interested me i just think it's just giving away money but at the same time i understand that people enjoy it it's a pastime but it feels like like alcohol, when it's so ingrained into society, and and I mean, you know, you and I are both huge AFL fans, but the yeah. fucking gambling
1: ads just oh. drive me mental. And you know, Mate, now when, that- you, when you hear when you hear when you hear a nine-year-old kid saying to their dad, But what dad? They're saying the Swans are two bucks forty on the <laughs> weekend. Come on, we're a better chance than that, aren't we?" Oh, ow. Yeah. But yes, I think I don't think we should I don't think we should be paying any more than about $2.18. I don't oh. think that,
0: that to me like I feel like even before gambling ads though, like I remember being at primary school and mates talking about the odds and, and you know and my dad's a mate talking about, you know, going to the footy talking about the odds and stuff. But it's it's more just that the way that it has been now tied in as if it's part of the game, as if gambling mm. is part of what makes Aussie rules great. And I think that's mm. a real it's a real dangerous road to go down. Mick Warner's book, um, A Boy's Club, he really sort yeah. of goes in hard on mm. the AFL's very uneasy uh, relationship with the gambling it's Like, It's funny because there's a bunch of things I hadn't even thought about that he, you know, he talks about the, you know, the tanking issue and, uh, you know, mm. and the drug saga, and how a lot of this, the reason why the AFL was so quick to jump on it and try and suppress it and control the outcomes, was because if it impinged on the results, it could jeopardise mm. their relationship with betting agencies, or you know, it, it was just, it was just a, a thread that they didn't want anyone to pull on. It's like, mm. oh shit, now you're beholden to them as
1: well. <laughs> well. Yeah, the sort of thing, and people listening who who don't you know, aren't involved in sports betting and things like that, you might have seen an ad where they talk about a multi. Mm. And the idea behind a multi is you don't just bet the Swans are going to win. Swans are going to win. It's going to be by this margin. A certain player is going to kick two goals. Someone else is going to kick the first goal. It'll be less than 12 points difference at half time or whatever. And if you can peg together all those different events that all have different odds assigned to them, you can win something quite substantial because you're effectively having five successful bets, each one of them placing the winnings on the next, on the next, on the next. So you have the, the players are reporting these situations now where they will play in a winning team. You know, your Their team will go out and win on the weekend. In fact, smash the opposition. They'll kick three goals themselves. The team moves into the top four, but with five minutes to go, you handballed over to someone else who had a shot. Mm. Now, Dickhead online, who'd put his house on you kicking three goals in the win, you fucked my multi, mm. you dog. And, and these players are getting threats of violence against them. And it's horrible to think you might get a threat against you if you have a bad game. Yeah. But players who are having really good games, but not realising that there was a special bet on them to kick four goals or more or something, are even getting broke. That's, that is a bit of a warning sign. Isn't it? Yeah,
0: and and but you don't. I can't see any way they get it. They get out of it. Once you're attached to that kind of money hose, right? Like it's it's the same thing with renewable energy or fossil. The you know the the especially Australia the addiction we have to fossil fuel industries when every bit of modeling and trending seems to be going in a different direction, and like we're just hanging on to this. We're hanging on to this kind of industry, and I I mean the word pariah. (laughs) gets thrown around a lot but it's just so weird to be like to be a collective to be collectively embarrassed when it's really the the voice that people haven't been heard because as far as i understand all the polling on renewable energy is quite positive like people want more mm. action on climate change people want renewable solutions get the people in charge They're attached to that tape, like, and and there and there doesn't seem to be any difference in the policies with Labor either. Like, if there was suddenly like a mainstream alternative that people could switch to, I mean, it's it's interesting. I don't know enough about politics to really get into it, but you do see people saying, "Well, what do what is the point of Labor? What do Labor stand for?" When all they're really doing is is offering like, you know, right of centre solutions when it comes to climate change, but. They would be doing modelling, and they would be doing market research, and they would be, uh, this, especially going
1: into election, what is going to get votes? Like maybe, oh mate, in- they, 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 did, they did a big piece of research called the last federal election. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at that, one of one of the criticisms of or one of the problems for Labor was they went in with just such a comprehensive set of policies in so many areas, partly because they'd been in opposition for so long. And 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 had really taken some time over it, um, but 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 as a result, it all got lost in the messaging, and and they were pushing so many things at once. Whereas the government managed to tuck in behind a couple of things, um, one of which people argue was a scare campaign that was not based on the truth. But Labor have done that in the past as well, mm. and they just kept it simple, stupid. And, and and got across the line, clearly even shocking themselves. So, so it was one of the... I love those elections where sometimes the Prime Minister walks out on stage, yeah, having just held on, walking out going, hi, how are you going? Look, I'm really sorry that... Yeah, look, we tried out... You what? <laughs> we fuck No. <laughs> fuck me. We won. <laughs> John Howard came out winning one one year and was was trying to keep a straight face and everyone was just cheering and he started giggling and he really just almost pissed himself because he clearly, and it turned out to be the last one, they got done the next time around, he clearly thought they weren't going to. Scott Morrison was just absolutely shocked that when Keating won the unwinnable election in 19, I'm old enough to remember, in 1993, Mm. and that went against John Hewson and the whole GST debate and that sort of stuff, that just absolutely shocked people but you can it's unfortunate you can understand in that game where all that matters is winning Mm. if the stats suggest keep it simple stupid and don't don't dazzle people with policy and that sort of stuff unfortunately you retreat to that and you're always in in our system trying to win a few crucial elections i've never in my life federal or state lived anywhere where there's been any election that's ever been close as far as i can recall my seat's never been in doubt and that's been on either side of the mm. political fence and state and federal i've never lived in a knife edge um swing seat where you know you can't move for people building new train stations and <laughs> and sports grounds well yeah exactly
0: <laughs> it's car parks <laughs> depending on where the electorate is
1: yeah but that that's just the that's the, that's the unfortunate frustration in a in, in a system like that
0: i mean in this Era of like, you know, this kind of discourse online, especially during the pandemic and, you know, climate change sort of falls in that category. For someone like you, um, you know, I suppose Dr. Carl would ha- have experienced the same uh, issues. Like, you guys who are very d- driven by like a background in science, you're data driven, you believe in, th- in statistics. And so when you see people online who have only got like part of the information or they've cherry picked information that suits mm. their narrative, like, do you despair? <laughs> for the discourse going forward, do you think it's it, it, th- th- there's just too much noise out there now? Where uh, someone who is genuinely, uh, you know, uh, trying to get the, to the truth is just going to have too much information coming in.
1: Yeah, it is really hard. And if you and yeah, you know, we've all heard the cliched was, but they are true, like the echo chamber and things like that. One, a, a friend of our family, a really wonderful, wonderful person, but who's done a bit of their own research, and I've been having attempting to have nuanced discussions with this person for six months plus mm. on issues. And what's really fascinating is, um, and, and they, they, they 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 flip flop either way. They're sometimes on the side of, you, yeah, okay, I can, yeah, I think we should take the vaccine and all that, and other times fall back. And clearly the default, her, her default is anti-the vaccination. She sometimes gets talked around, then she goes back again. But what's been fascinating in those conversations has been how much what I've been, you know, pushing back against has changed so it starts with this the first argument i encountered was well you realize that bill gates is the single biggest investor in the world health organization and stands to make money blah 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 and to which the pushback was i think i think he's actually donated tens of billions of dollars to that organization he doesn't own it i don't know then that moves and then it becomes well you realize that these these drugs are all still being trialed there's still Mm -hmm. trials going on to which the response is mate we're still doing clinical trials on aspirin, it's 125 years old. You still experiment on that sort of stuff. You always do. There's nothing out there being consumed by people that's not regularly being there. And so then it shifts to this and then it shifts to that. That's really, really hard. But the fascinating thing about this one is in the past, a lot of your big social pushbacks, they've either come from the left or the right. If you believe in the Hillary Clinton is running a pedophile ring out of the basement of a pizza power that it turns out doesn't have a basement then you're almost certainly way off towards what we call the right of politics but if you're into a a big pharma conspiracy or something like that you're probably a long way off to the left and this one's so fascinating to watch because I I was in Sydney on the weekend and I saw the thousands of people marching through the CBD they're a mixture of People very, very much on the right, including some like far right nationalist dick bags. Mm. But people on the right about this is liberty, it's my body, don't yep. tell me what to do. No government tells me how to put a mask on or whether I should. Yep. And people very much on the left, I don't trust big pharma, I don't trust corporations, the drug companies are in there. And it's when you bring those two, now those people normally would just would walk across the street to spit on each other. Yeah. But they've suddenly become strange bedfellows in this rolling maul of, of anger and confusion. and That's what makes it you know, fascinating and really hard to get your head around.
0: Well, it's also the way that politics are now flirting with courting the approval or the votes of these fringe groups. And I'm just like, oh, man, like, I don't know. I remember, you know, um, I had a friend who... Um, uh, was associating with some underworld figures, kind of indirectly, just on an, a an, 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 an nightlife kind of level. And, no. and the police uh, spoke to him and said, look, you know, just so you're aware, we are aware of these guys and what they do, and you might not be 100% across, but the warning they gave him was like, they you don't decide when you're done with them. They decide when they're done with you. Yep. And I think that that is a similar thing, like the sort of double speak that Scott Morrison's using at the moment, you know, just kind of like, yes, man, vaccine should be mandated. But at the same time, people should have the, you know, a free choice. I'm like, I just don't know that you can get the genie back in the bottle. Once you start sort of courting those votes and muddying the waters a bit and not being like a strong leader and sort of saying like, it just for better or worse, like, you know, John Howard, when after Port Arthur, like it was a very strong, hard line, it was a very clear vision. there was immense pushback. You know, he was doing press conferences wearing a bulletproof vest and stuff because hmm. the risk with that was that high. But at least it was leadership, you know, whether or not you like or like or dislike John Howard. And I, that's what I worry about the moment is. I just feel like there is no leadership, you know, not even from the opposition, because their their plan seems to be, well, let's just shut our mouths and see if he can fuck this up. And we can we can grab it. we can just sweep in if he just has. I mean, how many more scandals can he have? How many more scandals can his can his government have? And then it's like, well, we'll sweep in. But I we I just feel like we're crying out for that kind of leadership.
1: It's a difficult one because I mean, what what Howard did after Port Arthur was absolutely the right thing to do. It was a fair bit easier a sell, um, in the wake of a horrid massacre like that in a country where there's a portion of people who like their guns, but we don't have anything like. You only, you've only got to look at the U.S. after any horrific school shooting to see that if it's truly culturally part of the national narrative, that's a really hard issue to push back on. Uh, no, that thankfully has never been as big an opposition. In a I don't know if we've seen um, fomenting civil unrest from so diverse and normally opposed mm. a group of people. My my my, uh, you know, the person I'm having these discussions with, and she sent me a video. Uh, from this doctor, um, and and in his opening address in this little online thing, he points out that um you know I've done this and I've done that and uh, I've um uh, you know I've, I've appeared on Tucker Carlson as the resident blah 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 blah. So I said to my friend, so this guy in presenting his CV leaves with the fact that he's Tucker Carlson's favorite expert on COVID. Okay. Now, to my friend, you would you would walk across the room and rip the television out of the wall if someone was watching Tucker Carlson. This woman could not be more intractably opposed to Tucker Carlson, but she's so dug in on this issue that she'll take advice from Tucker Carlson's surgeon of choice because it's bolstering Mm. the narrative that that she wants to buy into. It's really, really complicated. And that was before our good friend Omicron. I mean, the the one good (laughs) thing about COVID, Charlie, the two good things about COVID that uh, that you know the kids are learning the Greek alphabet yeah, again, say. and as a as why a did I study Latin goddamn scholar, Latin <laughs> as a fellow Latin scholar? Isn't it just great to see the classics? Okay. <laughs> but I said this, to, I said this to Will a while ago, and I mentioned, it and it's still the case. What's been fascinating, and you know, the human suffering on that's far and away the, the bigger part of this. But on a pers- as a maths nerd, what's been fascinating about COVID is people just don't realise they're doing it, but everyone wakes up. And the first thing they think about every morning for the last almost two years now has been mathematical modelling. Just how many cases have there been overnight? Can they trace them back to that? What's the rolling 14-day average? Have we flattened the curve sufficiently? What are the the, blah, 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 blah? What's the r naught factor? It's all just this mathematical, it's this orgy of data and mathematical modelling Mm. that, that... Is just washing around people and they're they're just bringing it into conversations and decision-making and will I be able to go on holidays at the end of the year, not even realising they're doing it. So you're saying it took a pandemic to make maths cool? (laughs) Exactly. But now, (laughs) now, and that's why my book is just the perfect – I'll tell you a quick story. This is true. Actually, the reason why, where the book came from, um, it was a little while ago now, but my mate sent me a text message saying, Spence, my son Teddy, comma, seven, comma, just ask me, Dad, why isn't one a prime number? And the text message continued. I swear this is true. Mate, I've locked myself in the bathroom. I can't stall him much longer. <laughs> Please help. <laughs> it's great. Just text him back a little bit. And I realized, I think there could be a book in this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so is that was that the genesis for Maths 101?
1: That was the idea. The idea was, yeah, because my mates are a smart guy. Mm. There's two things with primary school maths. It's when the kids come home and ask, "How do I do long division and you've forgotten, but it's also the age where kids just ask great questions like, what well, how big's infinity and 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 can you can you have infinity plus infinity And, and <laughs> you know, is point nine 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 and one, are they the same number or not? and And all these sort of things just come pouring out of their mind. So half the book is, the actual syllabus and the stuff you need to know. And the other half is, yeah, just beautiful, bizarre questions and musings on what number means and infinity and area and volume and all that because so I think the thing I like about it is it will help p- parents whose kids are struggling a bit or if the parent's struggling, but also I think there's a lot in there for it's just as challenging sometimes if you've got a kid who really gets this stuff and is just annoyingly keen to go on. So we're trying to cater as much as we can in the book too for, Kids who want to be extended a bit.
0: Well, it sounds good. It sounds like it's a great book for kids and for podcast hosts because I think that maybe <laughs> I need to get a copy of Matt's one hundred one. You'll
1: be getting a copy coming your way, uh, don't you? Worry. And then
0: hopefully, when I'm calculating the volume capacity of six packs and uh, and, and counting leap years in future, I, I won't need you uh, to email it. For, for
1: people who didn't follow us, for people who didn't follow us, uh, the little debate online. There were a couple of things. There was one bit where you tried to remember what. Pythagoras's theorem was about and you did I'll give you you did say the word triangle so that's a start. Yeah. There was one when you were trying to calculate if next year was a leap year <laughs> or not. And that that hurt to listen to. But then you, but then you were talking about, I can't remember the context but you're talking about su- apex and vortexes? Oh yeah, that that's right. Yeah, yeah. you said I, you talked about the middle of a middle of a triangle. <laughs> And you weren't sure if it was the apex or the vortex. <laughs> and it's actually me, called the the center. <laughs> <laughs> well but then not- you came out with one. You came out with one and you were talking about volume and you, you said, Yeah, cancer. Well what's a what's a six pack of beer? What's that's sort of two litres? Yeah, yes.
0: Like a proud dad, yes! you, you, oh. you sent me a message with virtually with a, a, a tear face emoji. You were so proud that I <laughs> managed to get within the vicinity of two leaders. You're like, "Oh, this kid, he's done it <laughs> finally after bullying months and months of bullying online." <clears throat> well, Spence, uh, fantastic. We'll put a link to the book in the episode description below. Thank you so much for doing FOFOP. Love to have you back on at some point. Maybe I can, um, I, I can when I run into my next scientific slash maths problem, I'll get you back on to help me solve it. I actually found a an article on time travel, which I've read five times and I do not understand it. So maybe next time you're on, we can go through it together.
1: You can hold my hand and explain to me like theoretical physics. There, there was one great moment a few years ago where Stephen Hawking came out and announced that we will never master time travel. And that is because a year ago, he'd invited everyone. No, no, he, he that day he invited everyone. So it was like, let's say it was the the 1st of January, 2012, On that day, he sent out an invitation to everyone to come to his time travel party on the 1st of January, 2011. And he said as he launched the invite on 2012, I was there a year ago. No one turned up. I'm Stephen fucking Hawking. People would have turned up to meet me. There will never be time travel. Bang!
0: Spence, thanks so much.
1: Absolute pleasure, mate. Speak to you soon.